we do, why, why, why are we here this morning, is that we, our purpose here, is we want to make known the excellencies of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done to every single person on the face of this planet. That's why we exist. That's why we're here this morning. Is that we want people to know the beauty of Christ. And so, for this year, 2023, I want us to always constantly, as a church body, be thinking about these things. Is that be thinking of how we can better make disciples. And that we think about, even as we've talked about in the past, is that making disciples starts with one person. It starts with one. Is that if you want to reach the millions, the millions start with one. And so think about for you this year, who is the one person that you're going to set as your goal? I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to make known the excellencies of Christ. I'm going to proclaim the beauty of who Jesus is to this person. Over and over and over again. Because the kingdom and making disciples begins by one person. If we really do, corporately, as a church body, exist to make disciples. Who are you going to begin with? Are, you going, are we? Are we, going, are we going to live up to this? Are we going to put our money where our mouth is? If we say every week we exist to make disciples... It must begin by us declaring with those that God has put around us to make known the excellencies of Christ with them. And so I want us to think about that today. I want us to think about that the rest of this week, and I want us to think about it the rest of this year. How are we going to make disciples this year better than we did last year in 2022? So it begins, as Miss Billy and others have already said, it begins with us doing one thing, praying, praying. And so we'll talk about today in our text is how is prayer and making disciples intimately connected with one another and essential to missions and evangelism. So if you would, if you found your place in Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. It says this, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. God, we need your help. That's why we pray. To show our utter dependence on Christ. On the Spirit that is at work in us. On the Father that has you who has ordained all things. God, we come to you as your people. Saying, we need you, oh God. We need you for this task of making disciples. That is our mission. That is our task. That is our goal. That is what we work towards. But God, if you are not in it, if you are not intervening, if you are not at work, if your spirit is not opening hearts, making people receptive, then our labor is in vain. But praise God that you are using your people. You are using the gospel message. You are changing and transforming people's hearts, God, so that your glory would spread across the earth. And I pray, God, that you would give us boldness this year 
steadfastness in prayer, boldness in sharing, that God, you would bring even to our minds right now one person in our circles of influence that we know needs to know and hear the good news of Christ. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. We come to it humbly under its authority and not our own. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So you may have participated in a prayer walk before where you go to a certain place and you walk around. We've done it on campus before, prayer walks to pray over different things, going to different rooms, different areas. Maybe you've done it in different places like schools and things like that, that that you want to bathe different sections in prayer while you prayer walk these places and these different these different uh, institutions, whatever it may be. And this morning, not to be cheesy or corny, but um, but Paul here in Colossians four two through six is calling us to be prayer walkers. Now, not necessarily in the sense of what I just described to you as prayer walking, but what he's going to tell us is this: is that you need to be prayer walkers, meaning. You need to be people who pray, and you need to be people who faithfully pray. And then in, in light of that prayer, you need to be people who walk in accordance with the things that you pray about and with the things that you proclaim. And so Paul here in Colossians 4, 2 through 6 is calling all of us, church, to be people who pray and to be people who walk. And that's going to be the two points that we're just going to look at today, is that Paul is calling all of us, the two commands that he gives us here in Colossians 4, 2 through 6, is one to pray and two to walk. So let's look at the first one in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. And is that he says, pray. And you see the word come up a couple of times just in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in what? Prayer, right? Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Verse 3, at the same time, what? That's the command right there in Colossians just 4, verses 2 through 3. Pray, pray, pray. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first time, and I'm assuming that everybody has done this, maybe you haven't, but do you remember the first time that you picked up a baseball bat? Do you remember the first time you picked up a baseball bat? Maybe it was a little kid. You remember it, you know, you, you pick this thing up, you don't, you're kind of awkward, you don't really know what to do with it yet, you're kind of chopping like a tree and things like that while you're swinging, right? But probably when you picked up the baseball bat for the first time, you probably didn't, or unless you're just really advantageous and arrogant, um, you probably did not expect to hit a home run, right? It's like, oh man, I'm going to cream this thing. I've never picked, I don't even know what I got in my hands, but whatever's coming at me, I'm going to smack this thing over the fence. You probably didn't expect to hit a home run. And the reason is, was because, one, you've never picked up a baseball bat. Two, you've never trained, you've never prepared yourself and things like that. Right? You've never practiced, so why would you expect to hit a home run? Right? You haven't done the necessary things to succeed to hit a home run. And the question that I'm going to ask us this morning, and the question I think the text asks us this morning is this. Could our lack of evangelistic fruit, our lack of fruit in evangelism and missions, be because we attempt to do it without prayer? That we're attempting to do certain things and getting certain success without having to do the practice, the training, the preparation, and we think we're going to hit a home run. Maybe we should consider this, Crosspoint. We want evangelistic fruit. We want these things to come about. We want these, these 
huge things. We want to make disciples. But maybe the reason that we're not seeing the fruit evangelistically in our own lives and in the life of our church is because we're trying to do it without prayer. We're trying to do it without prayer. And this is why I think Paul brings up this exhortation in these first couple of verses. He says that prayer is basically intimately connected and essential and fundamental to evangelism and missions. Where making disciples should be prefaced with prayer, it should be permeated with prayer, and it should be concluded with prayer. And so Paul's exhortation here about prayer and how it's intimately connected with evangelism, it revolves around two things. He's going to tell us how to pray, and he's going to tell us what to pray. How to pray and what to pray. Is that prayer has an attitude about it, and it has an action to it. And so Paul's going to say, here's the command, pray, pray. And then here's how you pray, and then here's what you pray. So if you're in a position right now where you're struggling in your own prayer life, where you don't know what to pray, how to pray, and things like that, guess what? The Bible gives us all the instructions. Isn't that such good news for people who struggle with prayer? You don't know what to pray, you don't know how to pray, you're about to get prayer 101 here from Paul, the best person I tell you, right? Look at this, how to pray. First off, in verse 2, he says this. Here's one way you pray. Steadfastly. Steadfastly. Is that be devoted. Devote yourselves to prayer. And this is what we saw in the, see in the early church, right? In Acts 2, in Acts 4, in Acts 6, the early church is devoting themselves to prayer. They're giving themselves over to this time to pray for things, right? It's built into the fabric of their church life. This is just what they do. This is their routine. This is who they are and what they do when they get together. They pray. Prayer is habitual for them. It's, it's intentional. It's not occasional or accidental. They don't just fall into prayer like, hey, I, I guess uh, since we're here and all together in a worship service, we, uh, I guess we should pray. You know? I, I, I. No. For them, it's habitual. For them, it's intentional. It's deliberate on their part. And that it's not just something that, you know, the spiritual elite do. Oh yeah, they're those kind of people who just pray, right? Now, Alistair Wilson says this, to Paul, prayer is not a pious retreat from the task of missions, but rather the source of its direction and power. They pray because this is what gives them life in their mission. This is what gives us life in our mission church family, to make disciples. Prayer is the thing that keeps us tethered to God's will. And so for us, we need to be steadfastly in prayer, individually and corporately. I want, look, look as, as a pastor, as a pastor at Cross Point Baptist Church, I want people to say, you know, Cross Point prays too much. And people have said that before. And you know what, I'm like, thanks? Like, was that supposed to hurt me? Like, I don't know. Like, Y'all read the Bible too much. Ow, like, thanks. That's what I want people to say. I want people to come in here, and if they don't like it, okay. But I want people to say, man, they pray way too much. Man, they read the Bible way too much. That's what the early church did. That's what the early church did. When they got together, they prayed. Because they knew it was their spiritual ventilator. It was what was giving them life for their mission and their task. And it's what gives us our, our life for our mission and our task and our power here. Is prayer. So, we need to do this individually and corporately. It's not, it's a habit. 
It's a habit. It's not an event. We're going to set this time aside and we're going to pray right here. No, it's a habit. It's a habit. So when we, get, when we have our corporate prayer gatherings here, it's not just an event. It's what we do at 9 a.m. before we start any Sunday school study. We're going to come in here together and we're going to pray. We're going to pray over the things that are going on in our church. And we all need to make that of vital importance. Because all the other things that we do from Sunday school, from, from uh, mi- missions, from evangelism, from all these different things, is that when we get together and we pray, that's where we get the power. That's where we get the life to do these things. So let's, let's prioritize when we get together and we say, we're going to have a corporate prayer gathering. We're going to pray. Because we need power. We need strength that only comes from the Lord. And because what I'm, af- I'm afraid of is this. And we don't devote ourselves to prayer, steadfastness in prayer, is that prayerlessness subtly says that we don't need God. We don't need Him. That's what it says. Because when we're praying, we're saying we are in utter dependence on God and His power to do these things. Let us be steadfast in prayer. How do you want to pray? Steadfastly. Second thing that Paul says is this. Pray steadfastly and pray watchfully. Pray watchfully. Be on guard. Be be ready, be vigilant, be aware, be concentrated, alert to what's going on. I don't know if you've ever seen videos of this, but um, the Oklahoma drill in football. Has ever, anybody ever seen this where you get this big circle of football players and you got one football player in the middle and he's, he's kind of like this, like, right? And the coach calls out a number and then some random guy in the, uh, in the circle tries to go clean that guy in the middle's clock. And that guy in the middle's just got to be on a, he's got to be on a, head on a swivel is what they used to say. Head on a swivel, just, you, you're looking everywhere, right? You're, be, you're ready, you're alert, because you know it could come from anywhere. And this is, the, this is the sense that what Paul's saying here is pray steadfastly, but also pray watchfully. Be alert, be cognizant of what is going on, the needs around you. Be aware of those things. Don't fall asleep on this stuff, because Guess what? This is exactly the admonition, exhortation, command that Jesus gave to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to go over here, and what all I want you to do, you stay here and do what? You know what happened? They fell asleep. Multiple times. Multiple times. Matthew 26, 40-41 says this. Then he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. He said, Peter... You couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be watchful. That's what it means. Stay awake. Be cognizant. Be aware. Be ready because these things are coming. Crosspoint Church, let's let's be watchful in prayer. Cognizant of what's going on. Steadfast. And next is this. Be steadfast in prayer. Be watchful in prayer. Be thankful in prayer. Thankfulness. Continue steadfastly in prayer. prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a huge theme in the book of Colossians. Over and over again, if you want to go search that out, look for the word of thankfulness, thanksgiving, things like that. Thanks. Because Paul's trying to make a point. It's characteristic of the entire Christian life. Is Christians should be people who are marked by thankfulness. And so what he's saying is that this is another mark, is that you're thankful people and your thankfulness comes out in your prayer life, where you express your thankfulness to God for 
who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and how he's bringing you into this big task of making disciples and what he will do. And I'm afraid in our prayer lives, our prayer lives can sometimes sound more like a Christmas wish list than letters of appreciation to God. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, right? And what Paul's saying here is this, is that our prayer lives should be characterized by, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, thank you. If you were to evaluate your prayer life over the year of 2022, would you say it was marked by thankfulness, watchfulness, steadfastness? This is the character of this is the attitude of prayer. And then he says this. Okay, wh- okay. here's the attitude of steadfastness in prayer, watchfulness in prayer, thanksgiving in prayer. Okay, what do we pray for? So when you, when you get into your prayer times in the morning, you're like, I got so many things going through my brain. What do I, I don't even know what to pray for. My mind is everywhere. Paul says, he gives directions to the church at Colossae. He says, pray for these specific things. And ultimately he says, pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been given a task where the outcome was ultimately not up to you? And that what you did, the outcome was not ultimately up to you. And that's how Paul understands this when it comes to evangelism and missions and praying. It doesn't negate the responsibility to pray. But ultimately, when we pray, we're saying, ultimately, God will will be done and not our own and this is what he means when he says here's what you pray pray for us that god may open to us a door for the word or god may grant right that god would do these things paul understands that if the lord does not allow it it won't happen paul has no power to soften hearts to make people receptive to, to transform people, to make dead people alive. He has no power in and of himself to do any of these things. He needs God to open. He needs God to grant. He needs God to intervene and work. And let me just tell you this, Crosspoint, and this is, this is something that I have to work in my own heart and in my own life as well, is that you can be the most charismatic, scholastic, sensational communicator but if God does not open hearts, they will never come. That's what it is. Our job is not to open hearts. We can't. Our, our job is to faithfully proclaim the message. And so it doesn't matter how, how great a, an expositor one is. It doesn't matter how, how, how sensational I can be, charismatic I can be with my words, and, 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 and how, how nicely I can develop them and manufacture these things and how how good I can sound at the end of the day we are dependent upon God to do all things to make people ready to soften people's hearts transform people to make dead people alive Wes McKay as faithful I might be to the message of the gospel that's my job that's my responsibility be faithful my job is not to make dead people alive praise God because I can't only God And so, he's saying, let's pray that God would grant these things. Let's pray that God would open doors. That's what we want God to grant. And open doors here seems that 
that Paul is asking that God would open up opportunities, that God would open up and make divine appointments, that God would open up and soften hearts and make people receptive to the messenger and the message of Christ. Is that we're that we're asking that that God would would put opportunities in place and that we would recognize them and notice them and be aware when they do come through. I'll just tell you a story. I don't want to embarrass him, but I was talking with Melvin Krill the other day and he said he was in line at Dillard's and um, the cashier was, was on the phone and he could tell that that she was speaking about the care of her mother and and the the uh, the some of the things that she was going through in which Mr. Melvin had direct experience with and knows a lot about and in that moment she puts down the phone and Mr. Melvin says I kind of know what you're going through I've experienced a similar thing in my own life you know here, here here's what's going on and and those are the things, those are the things where God is opening up doors and giving us opportunities to experience things with people, to be able to infuse and interject the hope of the gospel, maybe with a cashier, maybe with a lady at the nail salon, maybe with our boss or our co-workers, just, a, just an open door where we can kind of walk through and say, hey, I know you're going through this. I know this is what's happened to you. I know this is what's been said. I know this. But here's what Jesus says about all these things. And here's what he has come to do. And so we're praying that God would open up doors like that with cashiers and with people in our jobs and people in our families and our homes. We want God to open up those doors and opportunities so that we can walk through in and proclaim the message of the gospel and the hope that Christ gives us in this world. And that's what That's what Paul moves on to next here. What's the open door for? It's for the word. It's for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ being the thing that was proclaimed. Paul talked about this in Colossians chapter 1. The mystery of Christ is what the Old Testament proclaimed. That there would be a Messiah who's going to come. And he's going to save not just Jew but Gentile as well. And so this is what Paul's saying. Here, pray for this, that God would grant doors, and that when those doors open, we would declare the message of Christ when those doors fling wide open. That we would tell people this. Because we know, and this is, this is why we want to proclaim the word, because this is what it says, is that we believe that God brings about new birth in people, transformation in people, through His Word. It doesn't come through opinions or political stances or cute sayings or anything like that. It comes through the Word. So we're asking God, open doors so that we can walk through and declare the mystery of the Word because we believe that it's only, only through the Word that people are given life. Listen to what First Peter says in chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding Word of God. People are given new birth. Anybody in here who has experienced new birth, who has come to faith in Christ, you were not brought to new birth, to new life, through any other means, any other mechanism, but the Word. 
gospel. And so he's saying, open up the door so that we might walk through it and proclaim this message and no other message. And that when we proclaim it, we make it clear. That's my hope. I hope that's all of our hopes. We don't want to confuse people. We don't, we don't, we don't want to cause more chaos in people's minds and hearts like, I don't understand. When we communicate things, I think that's in any relationship. I think that's when any time we talk. Everybody in here wants to make things clear. Am I, am I wrong about that to assume that? I don't ever like walking away from a conversation and that person think, what did he say? Which I know that's how most of you feel when you hear me preach, right? I don't, right? But Paul has a desire that when he does proclaim these things, verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And so cross one, are we praying? Are we praying, should we? And must we actually? We must pray for opportunities and effectiveness in evangelism. I'm going to challenge you this year. When you pray, you're praying about that one person. Pray, God, give me open doors with that person. And then when that open door comes, that I would be clear in what I say. I'd be bold in what I say. And I would accurately, confidently, and clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ. The Word. That's our prayer. The Scriptures implore us to pray and to speak concerning evangelistic opportunities, but also in addition to that, we must live in accordance with the truth we proclaim. Our prayers and proclamations must be supplemented by a life that has been transformed by what we proclaim. So that's point number two, is walking. We must pray, but we must also live in a certain way. Walking. You know, she's not here, but I'll, so I'll go ahead and make fun of her. I don't know if you know Jen Nickens. She loves to run. She loves to run. She would be a great running coach. I, on the other hand, would be a terrible running coach. Here's why. Um, you know, I think I could, if, I, if I were to happen to be just put as a, as a running coach on a high school team or a college team, whatever, I think I could, I could get by with, like, encouraging. Like, good job. That's good running. That's good, good job. Good job. I could be a good encourager to runners. I could even think I'd, you know, I could talk about form. Like, hey, you want to pump your arms? You don't want to do that? You want to pump your arms when you run? I think I could get away with that. I, I could talk about gear, you know. Hey, you want to have, you want to wear shoes when you run? It's a, good, it's a good idea to wear shoes. You know, the basics, right? So, you know, and even technique, you know, breathing. You, you want to breathe when you run? It's good to breathe when you run. Y'all probably already learned a lot from me just now about running that you didn't know. So, but when asked if I liked running, I'd have to say I hate it. I hate running. Despise it. Don't want to do it. Don't want to ever have to do it. Don't want to run. Don't want to do it. Shouldn't do it. Don't like to do it. So just consider, if I were to tell my students that, about all these techniques and forms and running, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, I hate running. Don't want to do it. Probably won't ever do it again. Right? How much impact would my instruction have on those I coach? Right? How much impact? None. None, right? Because my life and practice are com 
in com- complete, complete contradiction to what all my instructions just said, right? And this is what Paul is trying to get at in verses 5 and 6. Is that our prayers, beliefs, proclamation of the gospel must be supported by a life that has been transformed by that gospel that we proclaim. We don't just teach running. We love to run. And we run. And so that's Paul's point here. Is that pray, believe, share, but live these things. And you've probably heard the old adage before, you know, share the gospel and when necessary use words. It's not possible. The gospel is a message. It's like saying, you know, tell your, tell your spouse you love them without saying I love you. That, that's kind of weird. You need to say I love you, right? Is that the gospel comes down to saying things, to words. But it also includes more than that. It includes a distinct way of life that says, I'm not just telling you things on how to live and how to find life, but I've actually been transformed by that thing that I'm telling you about. Live. And so this is what Paul means in verse 5 when he says, walk. It's, what, it's the way that, that biblical authors say, this is how you live. They talk about walk, walking. And so he says this, how should one walk? How should one walk? Well, the first thing is this, walk wisely or in wisdom, right? Walk wisely. Live in a manner that points people towards Christ. That your life and your actions are actually in imitation of Jesus, right? That's what it, li- that's what it looks like to live wisely, to live in the fear and admonition of the Lord is that to live wisely means we are so concerned about what God thinks and about what God says that I want to live in accordance with those things. I care that much about them. And that we live and we walk in a way wisely towards certain people, towards outsiders, towards unbelievers. Because we need to recognize, and I think we all recognize this, the outsiders, the unbelieving world has their eyes upon us. The unbelieving world has their eyes upon us. Will this be the kind of people that says one thing and does another? Walk wisely among outsiders. Do your beliefs and proclamation mesh with how you live. And that you are to walk wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Now, I won't ask for a poll of hands, but does anybody struggle with procrastination? Look, I'm the worst procrastinator. You know what? If I've, if I've got 50 easy tasks and one hard task, you know where the hard task is going? At the bottom of the list. I'll, I'll be, I'm putting it at the bottom. I don't want to do that one. So I'm going to put it at the bottom. It's the hardest thing, right? I'm going to procrastinate that. On, if I can kick that can, look, if I can kick that can two miles, if I, if I get allowance to kick the can two miles, I'm going to kick it three. That's how, that's how long I want to wait to do that. right? But what, what the Bible here is saying, making best use of your time, saying, you don't have long to kick that can down the road. That God has appointed and allotted a certain time for us as his people to share the message of the gospel. We don't have forever. It doesn't last forever. Christ has been very clear. The Bible has been very clear. There will come a day where Christ will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And guess what? There will be no more sharing the gospel. There will be no more. No more chances. 
It won't last forever. So, so cross point, are we making the best use of every single moment, of every single day, of every single year? Are we making the best use of your time? When you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, when you go pick up your children from daycare, do you see this as an opportunity for me to declare the mystery of Christ? Do you see this as an opportunity? It's not just going to the grocery store. It's not just going to talk with your kid's teacher. It's not just going to the nail salon. It's not just going to the gym. It's an open door, an impossible opportunity for us to declare the mystery of Christ and to make the best use of every moment. Make the best use. This is how we walk. And then he talks. Then he says, this is how you talk. This is how you talk. And now, many of us in this, in this room, you don't have a problem with talking. Can I get an amen? Amen. I noticed that the people who are known for talking didn't say amen right there. I'm not going to give you another opportunity to do that. But many of us in this room, we don't have a problem with talking. We have a problem with how we talk. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the problem. That's the issue. And Paul here says there's a way that characterizes how believers of Jesus talk. There's certain qualities and features of what we say. And so this is what he says. Is that first, our speech should always be gracious. Now think about this. We must preach the gospel of grace graciously. We must preach the gospel of grace graciously. We can preach the gospel of grace without speaking or living graciously. How big a contradiction is that? Is we, we, have, we are the people who has experienced the unmerited grace of God, and then we go out and we talk, we use language, we speak to people that lacks any form of grace. Or we speak the gospel that lacks any form of grace. No, 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 no. If you... If you want to know Jesus, you got to do this, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. Is that we can speak to people and live in a way that is not gracious, yet we are the people who have experienced the greatest grace in Christ Jesus. Why would people want to come believe in the gospel of grace when it's represented by people who do not speak or live graciously? Second is this. Season with salt. You know the salt metaphor and this usage that salt, even in our own day, can be used to improve a certain quality of food. And that's what he's talking about our speech, is that it, it's a heightened sense of quality where we want our speech to be seasoned with salt, where we're not compromising the content and the truth of the gospel. But we must present the beauty of the gospel, that it is it is. Tasty. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That the gospel, yes, it is confrontational. But it's also attractive. It's also appealing. Right? By the grace of God, sinners can be forgiven. That's confrontational. That's calling us sinners. But we can be forgiven. That's beautiful, right? But sometimes, 
we can make the good news sound so dull, so boring, so cold, so uninteresting, so bland. And you know whose fault that is? It's not this fault, right? It's not Scripture's fault. It's our fault. Because the gospel is beautiful. What 2 Corinthians says, it's the aroma of Christ. It's beautiful. This gospel message that we have is incredible. It says that there is a holy God who has created us to worship Him. And every single human being in this room has failed to do so. And because of that, we deserve death and hell for such such sin. But you don't have to stay there. God, who is compassionate and gracious, sends Jesus, His only Son, to die on the cross, bearing everything that you've done on Himself, taking our sin and giving us His righteousness, forgiving us, canceling our record of debt against us, and giving us new life in Him, and now giving us a mission where we will, until the ends of the earth, bring this good news of grace, this message to all people. That's a beautiful message. That you can be transformed by nothing that you have offered and nothing that you can do, but only simply by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. How dare we make something so great sound so boring? Hey, you know you're a sinner and you need Jesus. You want to repent, trust in Him? How does that appeal? How does that sound like it's good news to us? Our words should be seasoned with salt. It should be appealing. And that, this, that when we speak this way, graciously seasoned with salt, then it's going to, it's going to bring about questions from people. People are going to see there's some content here that's really substantive and really good. And this person is speaking passionately and beautifully about this good news that they're proclaiming. And they're living it out. It's not just something that they say. It's something that they do. And guess what this is going to happen? It's going to stir in people, by God's grace, questions that we must be ready for. He says this, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is not just Paul's responsibility. He's saying how you, church, this is not a pastor's responsibility, not a missionary's responsibility, not an evangelist's responsibility. This is all of our responsibility. Are we prepared to give an account to people of why we have the hope that we're in? This is what 1 Peter says, 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are we ready to give an account, to give a defense on why we have this hope within us? Believer, this morning, are you praying steadfastly? Are you praying watchfully? Praying thankfully? Are you praying and looking for opportunities? Does your life and speech prove that you have been saved and transformed by Jesus? Has the gospel of grace taken hold of your heart? Because if so, we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that prayer is so fundamental to what we do here at Cross Point. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, it's not going to start with a big program, a big initiative. It's going to start by people praying. Unbeliever this morning, I hope the gospel of Jesus sounds like such good news to you because it is. 
It is such good news. This morning, you can find grace in Christ Jesus. Your record of debt can be canceled because of Christ, who's been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, to give you forgiveness. And this morning, you can walk out of here with the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Before I pray for us, I'm going to just ask you to do this. I'm going to ask Shane and the band to come back up here. They're going to lead us in a last song. What I'm going to ask you to do is this, something different. You don't have to stand, sing. If you want to sit in your seat, sing. I'm just going to challenge you right now with what you just heard from the Word. To right now, pray this way. In your seats right now. Consider someone in your life that God has appointed and put there that you can pray for. Pray that you would be more steadfast in prayer this year. Pray that you would be more watchful in prayer this year. Pray that you would be more thankful in prayer this year. Pray that God would put to your mind people in your life right now that you can share the word with. Pray that God would give you opportunities and open doors. Pray that God would begin working the ground of their heart so that they would respond in faith. Pray that you would walk wisely in their midst. Pray that you would speak graciously. Pray that you would know what to answer and how to speak when they ask you questions. I'm just going to ask you and challenge you right now. And you can go and grab on the back, back table, there's a who's your one card to write that down, keep it in your Bible to remind you, this is the person that I'm going to do all these things with. Pray and walk wisely and speak to. Take some time right now. Pray those things. As Shane leads us, let me pray for us. God, we need your help. This is a great mission that you've given given to us a great commission to make disciples of all nations. But God, let us not divorce ourselves from where the power comes from by your spirit at work through the power of prayer in your people. And that prayer and evangelism is so intimately connected and we can have no other starting place than praying. So God, I pray right now as we just sit in silence, hear the truth of the song that's going to be sung and that we think about people who are in our lives, that you have appointed and put there, God, who don't know the gospel and need to hear it. Give us boldness, clarity. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.